Guess it's time again for Buddy Martin. Call him up and tell him what you're thinking. But be kind because he's doing the best he can. Better. Stronger. Faster. Mama says that alligators are ornery because they got all them teeth but no toothbrush. Hey! What if the voice calls while you're gone? Take a message. <laughs> Bye! I'm ready for this my whole life. I'm incapable of small talk. <laughs> but that's why you love me, right? Kind of intimidating to be in the presence of so many great athletes. Now, here he is, the host, Buddy Martin. On a Monday, uh, the 504 weekend. We're looking forward to talking hoop. We're looking forward to talking sports, and we're looking forward to listening to you as you email us and message us here. We'll be able to respond later on. It's my pleasure. We're going to go right to the star of the show, a guy I've been trying to book on this show for a long time. So every minute counts. I'm going to skip all the opening setup stuff, except to thank the Ocala Quarterback Club, the sponsor of our Monday show. And off we go now to the hotline to Gainesville, Florida, and the voice of the Florida Gators, Mick Hubert. Hello, Mick. Hey, hey, buddy. How are you doing? It's a lot of a lot of pressure introducing you because I sound so <laughs> dull. You know, I, I want to want to pep it up uh, a little bit. I could have done a better job there, you know. But you bring so much enthusiasm <laughs> to the to the microphone, and uh, you named it the Florida Sportscaster of the Year uh, by the folks in Salisbury. Congratulations! That's a heck of an honor. Right there, and uh, long overdue, and congratulations for that. Well, buddy, thank you so much. Yeah, it uh, it took me by surprise, really. It was about a year ago uh, this week, I think it was, when I got word. Actually, uh, uh, our producer, uh, Steve Egan, uh, saw it on a Twitter and said, hey, did you, did you see this? I go, what? What? You know, I, I don't know much about Twitter, you know. And so he looked at me and I said, oh, really? I said, that's, that's pretty cool. So it turned out it was uh, – it was the real deal, so uh, I was very honored for that. Yeah, that's a big deal. A lot of my friends have been honored up there, sports writer. I've never been honored that way, but I know it's such a big, big deal. And congratulations! Hey, listen, I was going down memory lane with your stuff over the weekend, studying up. Maybe we had a chance to talk over the years a few times, and always enjoyed our, our chats that we have a chance to over a quick lunch or whatever at the, at the press room, and and love talking to you and uh, about you have had more championship calls than any human should be allowed. <laughs> you, you, well, I mean, I bet you know how many. Yeah. Well, I, I think, uh, I think there's six national championships in there. And, uh, if you just look at, uh, like final fours in championship football games, and then I would lump Omaha as that one, even though there are eight teams that go to Omaha, I would lump that in there. Like a championship series. Now, let me make a distinction there. Not necessarily just Omaha, but championship series. And that's when you're playing the best two out of three. Uh, I think there's been six other times that we played for a title and didn't get it. So 12 times really uh, for a national championship. That doesn't count the other trips to Omaha. Uh, but, yeah, uh, to be involved in that many of uh, those kind of games, uh, yeah, it's just it is surreal. And as I've, I've told you over the years, I mean, I'm, you talk about, you know, the old cliche, living a dream. That, that, that's what I'm doing, buddy. I mean, the fact I was seven or eight years old is when I really uh, took a liking to sports broadcasting and, and watching the games on TV and listening to the games on radio. Uh, and so this is what I've always wanted to do. And, you know, God gave me that desire to do this and gave me the talent, the ability to do it. And I've been able to. Uh, sustain a career out of it. So, uh, you know, like my dad always told me, he says, me, you're getting paid. You're getting paid to go watch a sporting event. You know, like, don't mess it up, you know. So <laughs> and that's the truth. I mean, I, I get to sit, you know, almost at midcourt in basketball and close to the 50-yard line of football and pretty much behind the plate in baseball. And, uh, you know, it, it just doesn't get any better than that. And so I've been really, really blessed with the, my career. I remember a conversation I had with you about, uh, the baseball championship and how emotional you got about it. And uh, it's funny. I've yeah. talked to several people since then who had the same feeling about it. So long for selling, waiting so long for that national championship so close. And, uh, and you love doing radio, although it looks like they're going to go the way of 
all radio shows. Eventually, it's going to be on uh, TV. But you're a radio guy. To call that game on the radio, to do that from Omaha, to see that unfold before your eyes, that was an emotional moment for you. And you said it brought tears to your eyes. Yeah, it did. It, it did. And it, it, it might again, as I'm sitting here talking to you about it again, because, uh, you know, we came down toward the end of the, uh, the season and I was really uh, talking with the administration about, you know, going forward with the contract that I, that I have. And, and uh, we've talked on and off about baseball, you know, uh, you know, college baseball is, is big in the SEC, but by and large, coast to coast, it's not that big. Let's be honest with it. And, uh, you know, we've got 40 or 50 stations that carry football and basketball. And we have usually like two or three maybe that carry baseball. So the scope and the range is nowhere near. But I never got into this business uh, to broadcast that kind of that way. I got into it because I love preparing and I love being at the game. And from the time I was playing the baseball cards and, and rolling dice in my bedroom when I was seven or eight years old, I was the scorekeeper, the, the manager, the announcer, the umpire, commissioner. I did it all, <laughs> you know, in my mind. So I had that vivid imagination. And my sister would tell my mom, she said, that's that little, my, my little brother, we've got my, my little brother in there. He's crazy. I mean, I can hear him talking through the door, you know, and I was just announcing the game. So uh, I always, every game I did when I was even at the university of Dayton calling games, you were playing football in Division Three, and it's Dayton against Wabash College or Dayton against uh, Baldwin-Wallace. But to me, uh, being in Ohio at that time, to me, every game was Ohio State and Michigan. I mean, it didn't matter if it was Dayton and Baldwin-Wallace. I approached it like it was a big-time game. So it didn't matter to me who was listening. I mean, I, I always wanted to be the best I could possibly be. But to me, every every game was big. And I still feel that way. Even when we're playing uh, that game before Florida State in football, traditionally it's not been a great game. It's a non-conference game, game 11. I prepare the same way in that game that I did for, you know, the following week with FSU or, or, or you know, the Florida-Georgia game a couple weeks prior to that. So it doesn't matter who the opponent is. You go about it the same way. Well, when I was talking to them, the administration about, you know, doing baseball, and they've asked me a number of times over the years, Nick, do you still want to do baseball? I said, yeah, I, I do. I, I do. I, I like baseball. And, you know, Mike Hill, who's now the director of athletics at, at University yeah, of uh, Charlotte, Charlotte mm-hmm. you know, Mike grew up listening to the Braves and, and is a baseball radio connoisseur. And he says, Nick, he says, I, I really love your football and, and uh, you're terrific at basketball. He says, but and don't take me wrong. Don't, don't misunderstand me. He said, but I think you're the best. It, baseball. I think baseball is where you're the best. I said, well, there's a way to do baseball. It, 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 you know, it, it's a certain way you do it. And, uh, and there's no right way or wrong way, but, you know, it's a conversational style. And, and yet uh, basketball radio is, is dynamic. You know, it's fast paced and there's a shot clock. And in baseball, it's, it's laid back. And, you know, you can, you can develop some storylines and whatnot. And I've always thought, I, I'm sure you agree with this, the best baseball announcers are not the guys who are 35 and 45. You can get pretty good at 35 years old and 45 years old, but the best baseball broadcasters are guys who are 65, 75, 85, because they have 30, 40, 50 years of experience and knowledge and storytelling. And, and those are the guys that uh, you, you aspire to, to, to be like. And so they came to me and they said, Mick, uh, you know, uh, next year we really want you just to do the, the, uh, the E3 stuff, the, the ESPN uh, plus, which is streaming, and again, I, I'm 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 getting I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but I, I looked at him kind of like blank look on my face. I'm going streaming. I mean, who who's listening on streaming? And I think <laughs> only because I was so out of touch, you know, with that. Because to me, I'm thinking streaming. I mean, that's not even on cable. You 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 know, it's not cable. It's not satellite. It's it's computer. It's streaming. Well, that that was my mindset of you know 2010 more or less. Because nowadays. People have, you know, whether it's Apple TV or Roku TV or whatever they've got, Amazon, whatever they've got, they can bring the streaming video right to their 65-inch TV sets in the living room. If you got a good Wi-Fi connection, you get it just like it's like it's regular television. So they said, Mick, you're gonna, you, we want you to do that. You've been doing that for a number of years anyway, but let's let's just take you off the radio and put you just exclusively on the TV, and this might help to prolong your career. You don't have to do as many games. And we would love, you know, obviously you're here first and foremost to do football and basketball. That's that's the nut of the job. And uh, and we want you to be able to do that for as long as you want to do that. And this may help you to 
be a little fresher. And I, I still had that quizzical look about me. So I said, well, okay, that's fine. I said, well, what about, uh, what about postseason? Will I get to come back on the radio in the postseason? And they, uh, they said, uh, uh, no, uh, no, no. We, we, I, I thought, you mean this is it? I said, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was, it was really about Memorial Day. We hadn't even hardly started the NSA tournament. So we proceeded to go that way. And I thought, okay, we'll, we'll give that a shot, you know. And, uh, and we get all the way to Omaha. And I knew this was going to be my last trip to Omaha. You know, the Florida Gators have been to Omaha 11 times. And I, I personally wow. have now been there for 10 I came in '89, and they went to got a condo there, probably, don't you? You probably got a condo there, Vic. <laughs> yeah, I've been been there a lot. We played 41 games in Omaha. I've been I've been blessed to broadcast 38 of those 41. So when we went there, uh, you know, and I, after we went two and zero, then I knew we were going to play two more games because we have to lose twice to go home. And that's when I told Jeff Cardozo, I said, Jeff, I said, I, I got to take you aside here. I got I, I want to. I want to tell you something here, and I think it's only fair that you should know this, that, uh, you know, that if we lose the next two, it's, a, it's it for me. Whether No matter what happens here, I'm not going to be coming back to Omaha. This is my last go-around on the radio. And so we we kind of you know, had that moment there, and, uh, and then we proceed to go off and, and, and get down to the championship series. And so I know this has been a five-minute answer to your question, but, I mean, basically when we got down to the end, I called, you know, going back to – you know, you never forget your first of anything. And I go back and remember, you know, 52 to 20 in 1996, and we got a football championship, and we then I get three more, and then I've got a basketball championship, 06, 07. And now I'm on the verge of thinking this is going to be quite a hat trick here if we can pull this off and win the baseball national championship because we played Texas in 2005 in the championship series and got beat two and two. I mean, we lost the championship series in two games and then South Carolina, we played them in 2011, the championship series and lost two games. So here we are third time playing for a national title. And, you know, we win the first and here we are going to win the second. And, uh, it was, it was very emotional because I knew it was my last radio broadcast. It was the first ever baseball championship and to sit there and, to call three in football, two in basketball, now one in baseball, and, and become really the only radio guy and that's ever done that at the collegiate level, uh, yeah, it, it overwhelmed me. It really did, and uh, yeah. I was I was choking back the tears on that, and uh, I was so happy for the players and for the program. And you know, I think about the, my my TV partner Nick Belmonte, who I've worked with 30 years on television, a former Gator player from middle 70s, you know, and of course sitting right next to me, Jeff Cardozo, a pitcher from the 90s. You know, I'm thinking of all the coaches that uh, that have been there and all the players. I thought, what a what a moment this is for the, for the Florida Gator baseball program to to win a national championship. And I'll say this about the Gators: when they win a national championship, they just don't they don't beat the sisters of the poor. I mean, you look about you beat Florida State in, in, in football, and then you beat Oklahoma in football, and you know, and, and uh, you know, and then in basketball you beat UCLA, you beat Ohio State. Now in baseball you're beating LSU. I mean, you're, you're being the cream of the crop in these respective sports. And so it was, it was quite a, quite a deal. And so here we are fast forward to this year and I'm, I'm enjoying doing the baseball games on, on the TV. I've got one Friday night, Vanderbilt first game of the three game series on uh, what they call now the SEC network plus. And that's ah. how you stream that. And uh, so I'm, I'm doing about 18 or 20 of those games, but I know this buddy about March 13th or 14th, or excuse me, about May 13th or 14th, Whenever that is, that's that'll be my last game, and there'll be no postseason. So I'll, uh, I don't know what I'll be doing this, you know, come Memorial Day. I've always been coming out of Birmingham and getting ready for the regional tournament, and uh, I'll leave that to those guys now. <laughs> well, well, two things for you to know about. Number one, you're streaming right now. <laughs> that's what you're doing. <laughs> that's right. And, and, and number two, uh, with that baseball program you talked about, a little tiny little grain of sand that's mine. I have a baseball letter from University of Florida, albeit a freshman letter when they had freshmen, but I have one. So I'm very proud of the baseball program and glad to be able to say that, you know, that, uh, that, that it finally happened for, for us. Sure. And and, and you've got to be, yeah. And you've got to be happy and proud and so excited like all of us about the the prospects that in two seasons, we're playing in a brand new, $50 $50 million new baseball stadium, which was oh, announced on Friday. So well, yeah. that's going to what be a, something, yeah. too. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Uh, you know, we saw the plans. Well, we, we know we mm-hmm. heard different things. And were you pleased with the outcome? Because they talked about a lot of different options. 
And looks like yes. this is going to be the one now, finally. Uh, and what are your thoughts about it? Well, I, I love it because, you know, Scott Strickland, who I, I met when he was the baseball SAD at Auburn, uh, back in, I think it was around 97 or 98. It's been 20 years since I knew, first met Scott Strickland and was always uh, impressed with him. And even when he was, even when he was a young, young man, 26, 27 years old, uh, I knew he had something special about him. And we, you know, I met him over the course of the years at various stops along the way. I knew he was a baseball guy, but he's very, but he's a very sports minded guy. I mean, he just, he loves all the sports and he, He's a he's a forward thinker and you know and uh, adept at fundraising and so Scott comes in and uh, had to replace a legend in Jeremy Foley uh, but he hits the ground running and says you know we can put I don't know twenty five thirty million dollars into renovating McKeithen Stadium I don't know if that's good I don't, I don't know if that's throwing good money or, out that way or not that's kind of what he looked at it he thought but you know what maybe we should not put a bandaid on it anymore and we've done uh-huh. we've done great in that ballpark, do it, making various improvements along the way. But it is what it is. And Scott thought, you know, instead of maybe trying to raise 25 or 30, let's, let's go get 50 and let's start from the ground up and build it, put the home plate where it's supposed to be. And that's in the southwest corner. And the reason that is significant because that's the way it is in baseball. That's mm, not that's, right. that's not Mick Hubert's idea. That's mm. the way it is in mm-hmm. baseball. And you can even you even know that because because why? Because right field has always been the sun field, because the sun's always in the west at that ah, time of the day. It's the right tough. field, good and you stuff. look at a left-hander, buddy. You know this, buddy. A left-hander. Why do they call a left-hander a southpaw? Well, it's because when he's throwing the ball to the plate, his left hand is facing the south. Well, hmm. his, his left hand is only facing the south if the plate is in the southwest corner of the field. So well, I didn't know that. Baseball. She just taught me some yeah. about baseball. Never knew yeah. that before. That's the, that's the way it is. That's a southpaw is, is a left-hander because they, his paw is facing toward the south. And so they're going to build it with the plate in the southwest corner, and the stands are going to be totally shadowed by the grandstand. There's going to be a cover now. They're going to have a concourse encircling the entire field where you can walk around and, and see the game. They've got 5,000 permanent chairback seats with bermed areas to accommodate perhaps as many as 5,000 additional people on blankets or, or nice. festival-type seating. And so, you know, it's going to be really, really special. All the coaches' offices will be there. Uh, everything will be out there at that site near the uh, lacrosse field and adjacent to the softball field. And, and as you know, with, with the demolition uh, coming of McEaton Stadium, as we know it now, that's where the new football offices are going to be, and that's – going to be a, a great thing for them because it's going to be tucked up right next to the indoor practice facility and right next to the outdoor uh, carpet they've got there. And so it's going to be convenient for them, you know, and softball gets about $11 million renovation too to add to their stadium and fix it up and have more of a grandstand roof for that. So it's a $130 million and uh, it's going to be something. It really is. That's it's a very visionary thought that, that Scott Strickland has in place. Well, sir, we hadn't even got started on some of the questions people got. I'm going I'm to keep you a few more minutes, if that's okay. Uh, I've got people sure. writing in, lots of people online now, 50-some people standing by, making comments, asking questions. Uh, Michael loved your comment about that information. Uh, never knew that stuff. Of course, you got the oh mys. You got one from Don Rutledge, the official. You know Don? Yeah, uh, sure. Now. Great guy. Yeah, Don was one of my fraternity brothers in college and uh, a terrific official, six Final Fours, what have you. Um, and uh, I have so much to ask you about. I'm, to, I'm going to have to get a, a, another date with you sometime to catch up when you're not quite so busy. But but we got to get to the calls because everybody wants – by the way, Illinois State, isn't that where Urban co- coached? I believe Urban coached there. For, was it Indiana Urban or was it Illinois? Was there. Yeah. He, Irvin yeah. was there, I believe, yeah. in about yeah. 1988 or so. First year, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, it mm-hmm. was 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 Mike Shanahan there also? I don't know. It seemed like that name comes up. But anyway, here's the deal: you got so many calls, so many good ones, and I know they're like your babies. If I say to you what's your favorite, you're gonna tell me it's impossible to pick one. I know. I, just, I guess <laughs> that's what you're gonna say. But but you know there are so many, uh, and 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 those have been become your signature. People always love to hear, let's hear a mixed call on, on this. And, I mean, I could go through ten right now. But rather than me doing that, let me just let you pick out two or three of your of your favorites that you that you think best represent. Because this is your legacy, you know, 
This will, mm. this will live on forever. Which are the two or three you'd like for people to hear that would mean the most to you? Well, that, that is hard, buddy. That really is hard. Uh, you know, uh, here's the thing. When you're calling radio, the thing about sports, there's no script. You don't know what's going to happen. It's young people playing a game. Anything is possible. Uh, and so you just, as an announcer, my thing is this. I know, and I, I, I kidded you before and, and other sports writers, that, that I don't have a backspace on my mouth. You know, I, I don't get a chance to delete and go back and redo it again. I get one chance. When you're live on radio, you get one chance to call it right. And you want to be as good as the play. The play might be sensational, but if they put that play that you've called in a time capsule and unearth that 50 years from now, they're going to go, gee, I remember that. I remember that play. That play happened when I was a kid and it was a great play, but listening to Mick Hubert call it, it didn't sound like he was very excited. I never want that to be the case, that the play was better than the call. Now, I'm not putting myself in front of the call. Don't misunderstand me. But when it's a great play, and just think for a moment, uh, I, I had a guy ask me, I was in church actually about a year and a half ago about, about some calls, and I said to him, I said, look, I, I call every play on the edge of my seat like it's going to be the most dramatic play. I says, can you imagine this? What if we're at the – two-yard line going the other way, 98 yards. If we happen to score a touchdown, the odds aren't very good that's going to happen. But if we happen to score a touchdown, it's going to be a pretty good call. It's going to be a pretty good play, isn't it? And sure enough, it was just six days later. The Saturday, we went to LSU just a year in the in the 2000 and uh, uh, what's 17 season, no, 16 season, the year we, we had to go over there, the hurricane game. We play them. Now, the game that you'll, you'll, we'll, we'll remember, the goal line stand in the south end zone in Baton Rouge to win the game. Darius Geis. Because of that stand, because of that goal line stand, this play I'm talking about gets overlooked. But we had a 98-yard touchdown yeah. in that game. where we right. threw the ball from the end zone and caught it about the 50, and, and the guy ran in. And I remember thinking, I just talked about this like six days earlier, that i got to be ready on every call for the possibility of a 98-yard touchdown. That's the premise that I call. I, you know, I, that mm-hmm. There's a sense of urgency. And so, you know, when we go to Kentucky in 1993, you know, Werfel and Dean are combining to throw seven oh, interceptions yeah. in the game, and we're about to get beat by Kentucky. And yeah. lo and behold, you know, it's third and, third and 10, 28-yard line, final seconds from Werfel to Doring gets a touchdown. And Lee McGriff says, I thought you were going to just jump out of the booth. He said, normally I broadcast a football game sitting in a chair, sitting down. But he said, you, I looked over to you, and you were standing up. And I, I, so I backed myself up against the wall on the other side across from you because I didn't know what you were going to do. You, you were going crazy over there. So, you know, that was a moment that, that stood out because we won the game and he helped us win that SEC championship. It was in September of 93. So without that victory, there'd be no SEC title for football in 1993. And that, of course, as you know, we won it in 91, but then 93 and then 94, 95, 96, four in a row. So that was a significant call. And, and yet it was Keith Jackson who mentioned that on the football broadcast on ABC the following Saturday. They actually played a, call, a tape of that call, and that kind of kind of put me on the map a little bit because here's mm-hmm. Keith Jackson commenting about the call. And so, you know, I'm forever indebted to the late and great Keith Jackson for that. Wonderful man. Uh, you, can fast, yeah, you can fast forward in a few years later. I remember Terry Jackson scores a touchdown in the 52-20 to 20 game. That sealed the deal to beat Florida State for our first title. And I, I think even maybe before that, I, I'd, I'd look back about 1994, I think it was, we played Alabama in the Georgia Dome and, and beat them 45 to 30. And I remember we, we had a, a nice pass play to, uh, uh, I, f- I forget, <laughs> I, I kill you, I think it was now. And I remember commenting that they're blowing the roof off this place uh, mm-hmm. because we, we, were, mm-hmm. we had a prolific scoring day that day. And then in, in 97, you know, uh, we had the, the victory over Florida State. Yeah. Uh, and that was, uh, that was quite a, quite a game there. That was the place, that was the, the, the game that I, I said this place, the swamp is, this place is an insane asylum in the swamp because mm-hmm. people were literally going nuts in that particular game. And so there's been a handful of them right there. And then well, those a are bunch good of them. In, yeah. I, I think maybe. Too, so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could go on and on because I could, but, but yeah. the Thorings got a touchdown. It's just one of the ones that I always it sticks in my mind. I know a lot of people yeah, say it, it, it for you, it, but you know, it's just you know, buddy, so unexpected, the, you know. 
you know, the thing about that, buddy, is I always tell the story. You know, uh, David Steele's one of my great friends, and David was the voice of the Gators for seven years before I got here. And, and Bill Arnsparger and Jeremy Foley uh, asked David to go through about 150 tapes and, and sift them down to about 10. And then they'd come in and they'd come on and take a look at the final 10. So my tape got down into the into the final 10 or so. And so I owe David Steele a great deal of uh, uh, respect and everything for what he did for, for me to, to be able to be in that particular position. But, you know, I get the job in 89 and the first game I call Florida and Ole Miss, that's right. The first game of the 89 season, buddy, was not a, a cupcake. It was a conference game and we lose. So I'm, I'm 0-1 and I'm driving home after the game and the call-in show on the radio and the fans are so mad. They're, they're, they're screaming about everybody and, you know, they're mad at this guy. They're mad at that guy. And a guy calls in and says, yeah, and the new announcer, he's terrible also. He's awful. <laughs> and I about drove off the road. I'm going, I had nothing to do with it. I mean, we lost the game. And so that first year was kind of a, a, a strange year because, uh, you know, we, we changed coaches there and Galen Hall was fired. And, and then in 1990, people, I always make, I always tell the story that the next year, Says, oh yeah, that's we got a new guy. 1991, the new guy became Mark Herbert, and in, the, in 1992, no, it's it, it's it, it's it, it's Mike Hubert, and then Dorian's got a touchdown in '93, and they go, oh yeah, Mick Hubert, we love that guy. And then, you know, <laughs> it took me five years to get, it took me five years for people to know who my name was, you know. <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, funny. That's yeah, kind of it's, funny. Yeah, it's funny, but you know, and of course there was Jim Hubert. The late Jimmy, who was a great friend of mine, right. a former colleague uh, uh, of mine, and the guy that I raised in the business, uh, Jim, Jim Huber. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but you know, when you put your name in, like I did a promo yesterday, I typed in Mick and spelled correct, made it Mike. So I looked up later on, yeah. I'm thinking, how did that get to be Mike? Mike. I thought, you yeah. think I'm an idiot, Mike Hubert? I mean, come on, man. But they know you now, my friend. They know you now, for yeah. sure. And, and, and love, they, they anticipate your, your, your calls. You know, we've had so many great moments and I go, I'm a, I'm a wait till next year Gator, you know, back in the day and all that kind of stuff. You heard about it. Uh, and, but there have been so many magical moments that happened, especially since Steve Spurrier, despite the fact I love the guy, he's been a great coach. He didn't invent football at Florida. There was football before 1966 when Steve played, you know, <laughs> and there was football before 1990, although the record books kind of split that up. Uh, but there have been so many great moments when he and Urban have brought here, and you were you were blessed to be able to call those, and we were blessed to be able to hear them. So those those were magical times and for all of us. And, you know, look, I mean, look, I, I've been around, and I, I fell in love with listening to baseball on the radio. And I go back so far, mm-hmm. and I can remember Harry Carey calling the Cardinal games and KMOX, right. and I could pick it up down here back in those days. And so radio was so, as you said, it leaves so much to the imagination. When you're a youngster thinking about what's the real world like, man, there's just nothing like radio, is there? No, no that's right. And, uh, you know, I'm, you know, you know what I'm talking about when I'm seven or eight years old and listening to a transistor radio under my pillow, and that's what we had back in the day, the transistor radio, and my mom would come in in the morning and uh, if she turned it off and unless the batteries had already died out, you know, because the station I was listening to had, wasn't coming in any longer. It was nothing but, uh, you know, uh, static and scratching, but uh, I grew up in the Midwest like that. And so I could hear radio stations from all over the country. And uh, that's what I thought. I fell in love with the theater of radio and uh, the drama of, of the essence of the conflict of drama and painting that word picture and that's what uh, that's what got into me. I thought that's what I'm going to do. That's what I want to do. And so uh, uh, I, I I love it. And yet, as you mentioned, I don't know what the future. I don't think I don't think radio play by play will ever go away. But clearly, radio announcers are kind of put in the in the corner of the closet these days. You know, they're they're, they're sitting at the top of the stadiums in the NBA now. They can't even they can't even mm. sniff the floor and. Hockey the same way to the top, and you know all the money is put on the TV announcers, the TV broadcast. I get that, I understand that, but but for the guy who is driving down the highway and just wants to hear a little radio baseball, there's a there's a place for that, you know that'll never go away. Yeah. And yet the, I know the golden age of radio is long since passed, uh, but I'm just so fortunate that I was able to be alive to hear those great radio guys from the fifties and sixties and seventies that, that that really laid the foundation for me to live this dream. And and like I said, I don't know what holds the next 20 years because I know there's a lot of young people getting into radio now that 
unfortunately, they don't have a clue. They don't have a clue what they're doing. I mean, I, I've had young people come to me that they can't even score a baseball game. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? I'm not with scoring. You know, if, if I said to you, a, a, a ground ball to shortstop at 6'3", that's, that's the international rule of scoring baseball, 6'3", ground ball to shortstop, 6'4", three double play. I said, how are you going to talk about that? You can't write down shortstop to second base to first base. you got to know how to score. It's kind of like with, with electronics now. Young people don't, they don't even know how to, if they go to a bowling alley these days, they couldn't even score a bowling match because it's all done electronically. But you learn to do it the old way. And, and so there's a lot of guys that they, they, they don't even, they give, the, they give the, the losing team score first. You know, the Gators trailing two to four. I'm going two to four. And I say, who taught you that? That's exactly the point. Nobody taught them that. They're not taught. So you yeah. know, there's a lot I hear today that makes me cringe. And yet, uh, I, but when that happens, I think, you know what, Nick, you're just, you're just an old, you're an old man now. You know, you, you got to hand it off to the new generation sometimes. <laughs> well, not so fast. Like you said, the baseball announcers are the <laughs> ones that are, you know, they don't get their prime till they're, you know, 65 years old. So there you go. Uh, right. Lots of people are writing in things like Mercy Percy okay. and they love how you yeah. say the, the Gators are moving left to right on your dial, et cetera, et cetera. And you could, you could, I mean, you, I don't know if you're ever going to do a book, but those calls should always be in there. In some place, they should be archived on the internet so we can go and hear them because I love hearing the old Larry Munson calls. Let me get you out of here with this. And I, I apologize for keeping you so long. It's been so, so fun. Uh, there's a list that came out quite some time ago, which is, let me get my, stop my dinging here. Uh, there's a list somewhere of top 10 announcers and it was on the sec and obviously you're all time and you were in there it's been about seven years ago but not so much that you're on it which you should be there are other names and i'd just like to get your thoughts about some of these people because you know them uh, you know and i knew of them and heard them many times uh and one, one of them would be larry munson there's only one like him i mean there will never be another larry munson well, that's exactly right. Uh, that, that's exactly it. He's one of a kind. Uh, you just can't, and, and that makes him special, makes him unique. And you just can't grow up listening to Larry Munson and try and do Larry Munson. I mean, you know, I, I, I stole Oh My from Dick Enberg, and I've met the late Dick Enberg, and uh, he, he signed off on it, gave me his blessing, so to speak. I use it in a little different manner of inflection, a little different way, but it came clearly from Dick Enberg. But if someone growing up in the middle of Georgia tries to do Larry Munson, you just can't do that. Uh, his style was so unique. And, it, it, you know, it's, it's kind of like a – and I say this in all respect. You know, there was a great baseball player a few years ago. Well, there's been a lot of them. But, but the guy comes to mind is a guy named Manny Sanguian. He used to be a catcher for the Pirates. He was described as one of the great bad ball hitters in all of baseball. You wouldn't teach a youngster to swing the bat at pitches that Manny Sanguian swung at. In the dirt. Uh, you wouldn't teach that. So, yeah, yeah, and yet he could hit about 300 hitting bad pitches. Yeah. Well, you would never teach a young broadcaster to broadcast a football game Larry Munson style. And I don't mean that. Way. I mean that in the highest regard because you just, you just couldn't do it. But yet when you grow up, I, I'm assuming this because I didn't grow up in the state of Georgia and didn't grow up as a Georgia Bulldog fan, but I'm just making this great assumption that if you grew up and you tune into the broadcast, you know word for word exactly the picture he's painting because he's so ingrained into what you were listening to. Uh, I, I, I was taught, you know, we, we never say we and they, even though I'm a paid employee of the Florida Gators, I rarely rarely say we or they but for larry it was always us and them we and they we and they yeah. us and them but you wouldn't teach that I, I talk about florida and the gators but rarely do i say us and we but I, I would have every right to say we because i'm a paid employee of the organization but but larry's style was so unique and uh we one of a kind and uh, a great gentleman and uh you know he, he's one of the all-time greats for sure uh one more announcer and i'm gonna get your final four pick um uh, Eli Gold, Alabama, he's unique in that regard, caught a lot of great games. And while I'm at it, I'll throw in John Ward and Mill Anderson from Tennessee, what they used to be. Yeah. Give me your thoughts about those guys. First time I met John Ward was halftime of the 1990 Florida-Tennessee game in Knoxville. Uh, I go into the, the restroom at halftime, and John was beat me to it. He got in there, and I looked over at John's brushing his teeth. <laughs> he was brushing his teeth at halftime. John was one for perfect diction 
and alliteration, and he was going to, and that was part of his style. He he wanted to want everything to be perfect. He took immaculate notes. He was very precise in his delivery. Had the broadcast with a towel around his neck all the time. You look on the table, he'd have a bottle of uh, mouthwash, and he'd have various throat lozenges and all that. And and he, he was he was a great announcer for Tennessee for all those years. Touchdown, uh, Tennessee, right? Just, uh, just yep, yep, yep. And, uh, and Eli Gold is, is kind of a contemporary of mine because we both came to our schools in 1989. So I've known Eli ever since I've been the Florida Gator announcer. And, and Eli is, is a guy that's got great, great enunciation, great enthusiasm, paints the picture well, and is a solid play-by-play guy. And I think that's what I look for in a play-by-play guy. I want to I tune into the radio and I want to hear something. You've got to have that it factor because we all have the down and distance and we all have the score, but can you do a little bit more with the basic information? Do you have that special quality? You've got to get all the facts right, but you have to do it with a little bit of flair and a little bit of style, uh, but you can't let that get in the way of the game. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fine line. You, you want to be exciting. You want to be enthusiastic, but you want to be in control and you want to give the facts right. And, yeah. uh, and Eli does a really good job of that. And like I say, he, he and I have been friends for a long, long time. Yeah. All right. Loyola, Michigan, and Villanova, Kansas. Who's it going to be, Mickey? Well, well, I tell you, I got a soft spot for Loyola because when I was listening to the radio back in my bedroom in 1963, I'm listening to the Loyola Ramblers. And one of the great announcers was a guy named Red Rush. He did the Loyola Ramblers back on radio in those days. And Red would do a commercial light. I remember to this day, it was about Ganella hard-baked bread. It was a local Chicago bakery. And he would go, Ganella, G-O-N-N-E-L-L-A. It's Swella, fella. It's Ganella. And he was the commander, and he was the guy that called Loyola. So that was, goes back to the days of uh, Jerry Harkness, one of the great Loyola Ramblers. So they come into Gainesville in December, and they beat us. We go two for 19 from the three-point line. And I knew they were pretty good. I didn't know early December they'd be playing in late March. So I'm going to root for Loyola. Again, I grew up in the Chicago area, and so I'm going to root for Loyola. I don't know if they've got enough to get it done, but you only got to catch catch magic for a short period of time. And they may have a little magic here to get this game. Uh, uh, the other one is is interesting, Kansas-Villanova. I'm a big Jay Wright fan, uh, so uh, – uh, I like I like Jay Wright. I like Villanova. I would I, I would think Villanova would be my pick to win it, but I would love to have Loyola win it just for the for those reasons right there. That'd be pretty special. Somebody told me once that radio is forever. So there you go. Those those, yeah. those calls will always be remembered. And as someone said here on the chat page, Mick Huber is forever too. So uh, they love you out there, Mick. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. And gosh, we could uh, do this again sometime. And we just we just scratched the surface, my friend. We we sure did. I'd love to be able to do it with you another time. Thanks so much, Mick Huber, the voice Thanks, of the buddy. Gators. And I have to say it. Oh my, sorry, it's terrible, but I had to say it. Thank you, Mick. Thank you, buddy. All right, we're long overdue for a break. Uh, Brenda, you want to take a break on that side, and we'll do that and come back, and we'll talk to Franz Beard. Daniel Hightower, PA lawyer, is a law firm that's committed to client service. Legal excellence, treating clients with dignity and respect. Good afternoon, law office of Daniel Hightower. How may I help you? And ultimately, helping them recover a just result. We work with many clients who are injured, whether it's on the job, in a car accident, on another person's property. In the reception area, they, they know you by name. When clients first come in to see me, one of my jobs is to earn their respect and trust. You're not a number, you're not just a, a random person. They, they knew my name and I was surprised by that. I want them to know who their lawyer is. I think it's important to make a human connection with each new client. They see me face to face, I see them face to face. The difference between Dan and a lot of other lawyers is he's very relatable. He establishes a rapport. He doesn't just come in and see things only from a legal trained mind. He, he sees the person, not just the case.
when I had my automobile accident and they helped me out with, you know, everything that I didn't know how to do. They give excellent service. Whatever you need, they're going to get it done. They take their clients seriously. They, you know, they want to make sure their clients are taken care of, you know, and that they get the best service possible. I want them to feel like I'm committed to them and their case. And when I believe in a client and I believe in their case, I fight for them. I'm committed to them to the very end. You know, if it wasn't for them helping me through a lot of the stuff that I went through, I don't know where I would be or what I would have done. He's honed his skills over so many years. If it was in his client's best interest to go to trial in every situation, on every case, he, he would. He feels very comfortable in the courtroom. We're staffed with five other lawyers and me, six or eight paralegals, and we can match up with the insurance companies and the defense firms. They don't push us around. <laughs> or they push and we push back. <laughs>
He did that, that two seven putters, you know, their names. Um, and that team I followed during the playoffs, they got to the finals and lost, got hammered by Sidney Wicks and UCLA and John Wooden's team. But what a wonderful Wicks story that was. Free throws to JU's eight. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And of course, I got to say, Sidney Wicks, uh, did a number on Artis Gilmore. He, he, he made him eat that basketball. Numerous times, ours went to the to the rim, but anyway, they, they were a good foot. They were a good basketball team. But anyway, Tom, Tom Austin, went, by the way, is the former star of Waldo High School. Is that where he went to school, Waldo? Waldo had a had a high school basketball team in those days, and if you've driven through Waldo and you see that outdoor basketball court hmm. that's there, uh, just as you're looking to the right, the train station, former train station is there. That's where Waldo High School used to play its games, and Tom Wasden was a star. Tom Wasden coached at Cocoa Beach High School, um, and then he went to work at JU. Joe Williams was the head coach, not the guy I know, but somebody else. And in the fall of 1970, he came to see me at Florida Today newspaper, then called today, said, I want to buy you a steak at Bernard Surf. J.U. buys great steaks. I said, okay, this is before basketball season. And then we sat down and ate. He says, we're going to be good. We might be ranked number one. I said, have you lost your mind, Watson? There's no way. I'm telling you, we're going to be really good. Okay, fine, sure. Well, you know the story. They were good, and they did get number one. They did get to the championship game. And, and now guess what he's doing? Brevard Junior College, now called East Coast Florida College, E.C., whatever that is. Yeah, East Florida, whatever it's called. East Coast College, East Florida, East Coast, Florida, East Coast College. Um, EFSC, whatever that is. They finished third in the JUCO tournament, and guess who one of the helpers is? He's a he's a consultant to the coach, who was one of his players. So there you go. So uh, out there in uh, Hutchinson, Kansas. So you remember the starting lineup for JU? And I can remember Pembroke Burroughs the third. I can remember Artis Gilmore. I can remember Rex Morton Morgan. Uh, no, Batman and Robin. Uh, and uh, was Von, Von Wedeking. Von Wedeking. And the and the Rex the Nelson, Rex Nelson and Rod McIntyre split time with the other forward. Was it Rex Nelson? Rex was the was it Rex Morgan. I, mean, I didn't know. I mean, uh, uh, Greg Nelson. Yeah. Greg Nelson and and yeah, Rod McIntyre split yeah. time with the other forward. I saw him beat Kentucky. They beat Kentucky and Dan Nussel. I was there that day in Dayton when that happened. Uh, it was a, quite a run. It was a lot of fun. So it was good for them. And, uh, well, any, any observations that you want to bring to us from the Elite Eight, uh, after watching basketball all weekend, Francis? Well, uh, I, I think the four best coach teams are there. I think the, the final four is the, the four best coached basketball teams in the country. Uh, you look at the way Loyola plays, unbelievable ball movement, unselfishness, et cetera, like that. But then again, you look at Kansas. Kansas plays with a center and four guards. And basically the same thing out there. Villanova has five guys that can all just shoot the basketball like crazy. And I'll tell you what, for all this hype and all the money that Jim Harbaugh makes, the real star of the coaches of the athletic department coaches at the University of Michigan is John Beeline. Doesn't yeah. make a lot of noise, just gets out there and gets it done. He's done it every single place he's ever been. Yeah. His teams have won, and they won them all, and they won with class. Nobody's ever accused him of cheating, and he doesn't. Uh, and and all of his teams play the same way. They hustle. They 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 moved the basketball, uh, really, really good basketball coach. When he was at West Virginia, uh, he had a guy named Pitts uh, Noggle or something like that. Everybody called him Pitts Noodles. And the guy was just, he, he's one of these guys that everybody said, this guy can't be. And you looked at the team and you'd say, the goofiest looking guy on the team. He, he, he's got to be there because he, he's great in the locker room. And then he'd get out there and he'd just wear people out. And this is a guy that just brings the best out of his out of his team. So you got four fine coaches, four well coached teams, and I I look forward to this Saturday uh, 
about as much as any Final Four I've seen since, really? uh, since 2007. Well, you like it that much. Turned out pretty good after all, didn't it? We, had, we thought it was going to be a rough year, but they got it right at the end. And that was uh, it's fun. Uh, you uh, uh, you also I know you probably weren't at the practice. I wasn't in football, but I'm sure you read things. Sounds like the if it's such a thing as tightening up, the quarterback situation seems to be tightening up just a little bit. Kyle Trask getting in the picture now, all of a sudden getting a little bit of run and people talking about him. Uh, you know, and, and, and I'd forgotten how big Kyle Trask was, 6'5 and 240, and he might fit right in there with Mom. Now, this, this quarterback thing is, is, turns out, looks like it's pretty open, isn't it? I think that, uh, that Dan is looking for one basic thing this spring. He's, I think he's looking to find out what each guy can do. And then they're going to evaluate film, et cetera, like that. And they're going to construct an offense in the offseason based around uh, what gives them the best the best advantage to win. And that may be with two quarterbacks. It may be with one quarterback, et cetera. But I don't think that I, – I, I don't care who the number one guy is when spring football ends. I don't necessarily think that's going to be the, the guy that starts when uh, – they play their first game in September. I, I think that the guy that ends in the spring is the guy that probably did more things right than anybody else and was more fundamentally sound than anybody else. But I think that uh, they'll they'll look at what each guy can do. They'll watch their progress in the fall. And then when August hits, uh, somebody's going to have to come in there and take the job. And We've seen this before, you know, that, that guy, Shane Matthews, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden looks good in the spring game. And then in the summer, he was just, he just distanced himself from everybody. And even in the summer between, uh, of 1990, everybody was still predicting that Kyle Morris or Brian Fox, who was a transfer from Purdue, they're saying these guys are going to be the quarterback. Shane yeah. Matthews, it was just lucky. It was the spring. But Shane took what the instruction he had in the spring and then put the work in, in in the summer, and Spurrier constructed the offense around him. And I think, I think that's a, a, a very it's a very similar situation to what Dan is going to do with these quarterbacks. He's going to uh, see who's, who did what in the – in the uh, spring game and throughout spring practice. And then they're going to construct an offense around uh, the best combination or the best one. I don't know which one it's going to be. Well, we shall see because uh, I think there's a lot to be learned yet on the battlefield, to use that metaphor. Um, And I think what Mullen likes is accuracy. He said that he likes physical toughness. Likes our running quarterback. You can get beat up running the football. Not everybody can beat Tim Tebow. Speaking of him, I read some story on 247 Sports about something about Tebow maybe uh, starting in double A this year, I suppose, speaking of Tebow and the I other think, sport. I yeah. think that's where they're going to start him. Uh, yeah. They're going to give him every chance to succeed. And, of course, they, wherever he is, will lead that league in attendance. Guarantee you. Yeah. I had a vision today. Uh, thinking about this, I predict that in two to three years, Tim Tebow will be coaching for Dan Mullen. He, he may just come in the spring and be a consultant, or he might be a staff member. I think because I think it's a great environment for Tebow. I think it's a good thing for the university. He, of course, is a huge figure. By the way, would raise a lot of money for the university if Tim wants to do it. I just see that fitting somehow or the other. It's some. Day Tebow will come home, and it'll never be better for him than having Mullen there. So we'll see if I'm if I'm uh, any. Hope I'm hopefully I'm better at that predicting than I am on my final four. I got, I got one team in the, in the final four, so uh, we shall see about that. All right, final football question right now. Um, you know, I, I hate to keep saying this about Mullen because we're making it. He's he's too nice a guy. He's doing too many things right, and the first time he does something wrong, it'll be a big story. But what he did with the former players, I've said this a couple times on the show last week, the decision 
to have the Gator walk on Saturday and have the former players come behind him, we talked about the other night, I think is a terrific one. And I see that as being something that will grow and grow because, as you know, the rich heritage of these players that Florida has, bringing them back into the program, getting them involved, that's what it's all about. And I think this will be a big, big thing. And by the way, we're going to be right there on right next to the Gator Walk on the North Lawn for the Gator Nation Kingdom tailgate. Friends, you should be there too, hopefully. Uh, we're going to have our group there broadcasting from there. Brady Ackerman's going to be there. Brendan Martin's going to be there. Bob Ennis and all the Knights, our admins, whatever. It's going to be quite a deal. It's going to be a whale of a tailgate by the former SEC tailgater of the year, Mr. Bubba Ennis. So, and we're getting people, word out to people today. I think Brendan told me he had 20 people signed up at the site today. Uh, and if you're a member of the Gator Nation Kingdom, you can come absolutely free. You want to give them three bucks at the front door to defray the cost or whatever, that's up to you. Some of us has given money to, to contribute this, but what a great opportunity for the Gator Nation Kingdom people to meet each other for the first time. It's going to be really special that day. And Mullen made it even more special because we'll be standing right there watching the team go by and watching some of these legendary players come by. Do you know what, buddy, what I'd really like to see him do? I'd like to see him invite the former players to do the Gator Walk every single home game. I would, too. I think that I think, you know, you want to take a take what has become a tradition. Urban started that in 2005. What I would really like to see is turn that tradition into something that nobody else does. And, and you know, they got a tiger walk at Auburn. Everybody's got something. Nobody else brings in all the former players and says, hey, you know, if you're a former player, you're walking with us because this is as much your program as it is ours. And I think that would just be, a, a, you know, it would set this tradition apart at Florida, I believe. I agree. I agree. Well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna text you too far because I got to get you working at night too. About nine fifteen or nine twenty, we'll be talking to France, getting him. Go over your uh, look at your three D roster and give me some goodies on the football team. And then if you got any more insights to Gator to the to the Final Four, we're going to hear from you on that. And we'll rejoin France tonight on the late night dilly dilly with friends. So thanks with Francis. Soft, with softball results too, because the game oh, yeah. is right. the city network and hopefully complete a sweep of Texas A and M. They have just hammered the Aggies. Uh, which came in ranked eighth and the Gators have been were ranked sixth and the Gators just made the Aggies look just plum pitiful. See that's how we call him the Iron Duke. Because he's always working all the time. The Iron Duke of the Gator Nation Kingdom, for sure. Francis, thank you, buddy. Appreciate thank it. You. All right. I see a couple of comments here. Apologize, I wasn't able to get to them because my cell phone is not working properly. You're having a little few issues with that. And I only get four comments. I don't get them all. Uh, so I just see the four. The four I'm going to see all. And then tonight, I'll try to go back over it if I can. I know you wanted me to do it when Mick was here, but it just didn't work out technologically. So, anyway, hope you enjoyed Mick Huber tonight. Mick Huber, I, I certainly did. It was one of those interviews that we could have kept on going. Um, so, uh, we, we will hopefully repost that interview at some point and try to get that for those who missed it. And uh, you'll be able to catch it up right here. If not, go back and do the replay. You can hear it there if you're just joining. So, uh, again, thanks to Brendan Martin for all his good work over there. Man behind the curtain pulling all the strings. And, Brendan, you're back tonight, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Copy that. Copy that. All right. I think I I will. We'll see. We'll see. Play us out. Uh, Yeah, good interview there, by the way. Thank you. Well, I mean, I know it went long, but. Oh, well, it's the internet, so it's going to be, uh, it was a, it was a dandy, so everyone loved it. So yeah, we'll talk to everyone soon. All right, son. Bye.